as we turn to the Word of God in the book of Isaiah. Last Sunday morning, we read Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 6. And this morning, we're reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 11. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. God always blesses the reading of his word. So that you have an idea this morning exactly where we're going and as we divide up these verses in the next 30 minutes at maximum. So you can sit back with your seatbelt on and if I go over the 30, you can shout out, preacher, your time is up. And there's some of you here who would do that too. First of all, this morning, there's the redeeming Christ. And we have three subheadings under that. He silently submits, he silently suffers, and he silently saves. And then the last three verses, we've got the response of Christ. And here in the response of Christ's life, we can see God's purpose, God's perspective, and God's provision. Whether we get there or not, well, we'll see how we get on. When we look at the redeeming Christ, to me, it's amazing that as he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, in spite of all that he suffered, the insults upon his life and what he was subjected to. He was willing. He never opened his mouth. He silently submitted to everything that the people were doing upon him. Those lips of his and a lie had never crossed them. A lie never would cross them. And as far as he was concerned, there upon the cross, he was unresponsive, even before the cross, 
to all their provocation. They could say this about him. They could say that about him. But at the end of it, he silently submits. He gives no explanation. He makes no comment. And he offers no defense. His non-reaction is compared here in the seventh verse to that of a sheep. A sheep that's been sheared or even facing death. Now, shearing sheep, if any of you have had the benefit of being brought up in the country and not have had the negative impact of being brought up in the town or the city, well, then you'll know what shearing sheep's all about. It's hard work. The sheep are often fearful and they can be nervous about being sheared. They're actually so scared that they stiffen their bodies. They arch their very necks rigid and they try to push their head into the body of the person who's shearing them. But yet in the whole ordeal, they remain silent. Now, the raw wool on the sheep's back, it's dirty. It's full of all sorts of things that we'll not mention this morning as we get a bit close to dinner time. Uh, Lice, manure, uh, thorns, twigs, you name it. Over the months, that wool has taken in a lot, a lot of stuff. You know, this morning, if you're wearing anything woolen and you're feeling a wee bit itchy, maybe, then that wool of that sheep was never washed prior to it going to the spinning mill and being dyed in that beautiful color that you're so proud of this morning. That jumper that you've got, It might be alive. (laughs) And those socks that some of you fellows are wearing, they might actually be walking. You just never know. Well, wool is only clean when it's washed. And without Christ, we are as dirty wool. We're filthy. We're like filthy rags, filthy clothes, but Christ's blood is able to wash us clean. We sing a verse of a hymn, wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. The blood of Jesus Christ is able to take black hearts and make them spotlessly, spotlessly clean. But when we come to look at the shearing of the sheep and the sheep being silent and the Lord being silent and while the sheep are fearful and timid and they are oblivious to a certain extent to everything that's going to happen to them, Jesus was completely aware of all that was going to happen to him. Nothing was news to Jesus. 
As far as Jesus was concerned, nothing was going to come as a surprise. He never was taken unawares. And what was broadcast by Isaiah all those years ago was actually news Not from BBC or ITV, but it was news from God's heavenly news station. And Isaiah, while he wrote it, and as we said last week, God authored it. Jesus Christ knew all about it. Not only does he make the news... Because we're still talking about Jesus Christ being able to save. He makes the news, but he also writes the news. Christ knew of a day when he would leave heaven, when he would be born of a virgin. He knew of a day when he would die. He knew of a day when he would ascend up into heaven to the very throne of God. And you know, he's up there this morning and he's waiting for a day when he shall come again. Jesus was born into this world and Jesus is going to come back into this world again. And he knows all of that. Outside the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were about to arrest him, the Bible says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and spoke unto them. And he simply asked them, who are you looking for? He knows all things. And while that is tremendous, it can be a bit scary. Because he knows all things about you. And he knows all things about me. And he takes the good and the bad and the ugly in your life and in mine. And he takes hold of it. And upon the confession of our sins, he replaces the tattered, broken pieces and he gives us a brand new life now only Jesus can do that never man spake like this man the Bible says he silently submitted himself he was silent he never answered a word to what they were saying Now, you and I come from a part of the world where we know it's not easy to hold our tongue. Anybody ever tell you to hold your tongue? Ulster people are not given very well, or Irish people, whatever you want to call yourself, we're not actually given very well to holding our tongues. It doesn't come as second nature. Second nature to us is make a comment. Make a response. We're never slow in having something to say. We're never backward in coming forward. We've always got a reaction. It's easy this morning for us to do that. 
Unfortunately, even when we're guilty, there are times when we seek to defend ourselves. Even when we are innocent, that we're defending often the indefensible, and we're pretty good at it. There are times when we do need to speak up. Speak up in the defense of the gospel. Clearly expound the word of scripture. That's part of the Christian walk. Speaking up for Jesus. Speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Like the unborn. Somebody's got to speak up for them. There are many people in society that need a voice to speak up on their behalf. For their, so there are times when it's our responsibility to speak up. And remember this morning also the truth can stand on its own two feet. It actually doesn't need me to prop it up. It actually doesn't mean need me to keep it standing. God's truth will always stand whether I'm about, whether you're about. It hasn't changed since we came into the world. It's not going to change after we leave it. God's word remains the same. And there are times when silence can speak very loud. There's often the silence of a broken heart. And the silence of a broken heart speaks louder than all the words of wisdom or all the comfort or all the sympathies that you and I can express. The silence of a broken heart. Though innocent, Christ says nothing. He never resented dying for you and me. He didn't go to the cross shouting and screaming and fighting. The wonder of him dying. He did it willingly. He did it gladly. He did it openly there on the cross. He drank the cup of God's wrath and he said to Eric McComb, Eric, I'm drinking the cup of God's wrath so that you might be able to drink the cup of God's mercy. This morning, that's, what off, that's what's offered to us all. God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion. Yes, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He silently Submits. Remember that we chorus we used to sing? He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. 
I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. He did it willingly. He did it without any resistance. Now, quickly, and if you're working out that was a long point, you're right, but it's longer than the next few that we're going to look at. So you've been timing me. Time that man beside you. (laughs) He silently suffers. His was a silent sacrifice. After the breaking of bread in the upper room, they sang a hymn, they prayed, and then they went to Gethsemane, where the Lord prayed again. And then when he came out of Gethsemane, he was arrested at the gates. He was brought from one place to another. He was brought from post to pillar, from one accuser to another, from Caiaphas to Pilate, and back and forwards, from one court to another. And he silently suffered. No one could have whispered in his ear that day, we understand what's happening. When you think of the part that Judas, one of his disciples, prayed, he betrayed him. When you think of another disciple, what he did, Peter, he denied him. His mother could only watch what they were doing to him. She could only listen to what they were saying about him. And if you're a mother this morning, it doesn't come easy to listen to what somebody's saying about your son or your daughter when they're not right. It doesn't come easy to watch what other people might be doing to them by word or by deed. It doesn't come easy. It wasn't easy for me, right? But by and large, most of the people who were at the cross were there because they were spectators. They wanted to see what was happening. And Isaiah cries out, Who out there among those who are living and who are witnessing all of this, who's going to explain what's happening? Has anybody got any reasons? That a 33-year-old man is going to be cut off from the land of the living, crucified, even though he's innocent? Isaiah screams out, have you got an answer? Have you got a reason? Why is this happening to an innocent man who has done no sin, never did any sin? Why is Jesus not bitter? Why is Jesus not retaliating? What makes the difference between Jesus and us today? Well, he's the son of God. He's the savior. He wants to be our friend. He wants to be our Lord. He wants to look after us. The difference in Jesus today to us is miles and miles apart. Nevertheless, even though he was rich, he came into this world that we who are poor might become rich. 
He came into an environment that was foreign to him. For you and for me. And then he silently sees. It was the intention of that godless, spineless, heartless, crucifying mob to bury Christ as a criminal in a criminal's grave. Now, while he died the death of a criminal, God used Joseph of Arimathea to ensure that he was placed in a rich man's tomb. Yes, he died between two criminals, but the Lord was going to make sure that he wasn't put in a criminal's grave. For now the cross is over. He's got a proper burial place. And it's in the grave that Joseph of Arimathea had bought many years ago. Now that was the moment for Joseph of Arimathea to come out of hiding as a secret disciple and openly declare his allegiance to the Son of God. That was his moment to save his testimony. Maybe you're a Christian this morning, but you're a silent one. You're a silent one. And up to now, Joseph was a silent follower of Jesus. What changed the attitude of Joseph of Arimathea from being a silent disciple to somebody who publicly served Christ? The answer this morning in two words is the cross. That's what changed him. It transformed him. It saved him from secrecy. No longer a distant, silent follower. But he's now right out in the open to the extent he moves from obscurity and privacy. He goes to the palace of Pilate. He knocks on the door, or I'm sure would try to have kicked the door in and said, listen, I want the body of Jesus Christ released to me from that cross. I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it in my tomb. In other words, what was Joseph of Arimathea doing? He was simply doing what we often do when we stand up and we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And then on Monday morning, we're quiet as to who we are. Yes, it took him away from his secrets or his silence. Derek Bingham in his book, the late Derek Bingham, I forget the title of it, but it's about Isaiah 53. It's well worth buying. And he asked the question, have you ever wondered who spun the linen that Joseph lapped around Christ's body? Or have you ever wondered who grew the flax from which the linen was manufactured? In other words, who was the weaver? Who was the farmer? Who provided those two things? 
Ah, you know, this morning, sometimes we're unaware of the significance of the things that we do. They mightn't seem much at the time, but unknown to us are seemingly small, insignificant contributions have eternal consequences. That's why our hearts and our hands and our homes and our churches should ever be available to him. The day that that farmer harvest the flax, the day that that weaver spun the linen, they never realized that Joseph of Arimathea would use it years later. Maybe you're doing something today. In days to come, people will come to this church and benefit from what you have done. Benefit from what you have done. It's a long time since I preached, first of all, in the old Elam church round the corner. Tom Burns was the pastor. And there are many of you, well, few now who were there then. But you sowed into the work of God through BBGB through various things that you did. And today this church sits on the road. You sowed. And others are reaping. Somebody has to weave the linen. Somebody has to sow the flax. May we do our best to do what we can do. For another generation. Talking about sowing flax. I'm actually preaching next Sunday night at a harvest. Imagine a harvest in September. And I'm looking at my dairy and thinking to myself, well, well, it just doesn't seem natural. It's in the heart of County Armagh. County Armagh farmers, of course, are before all the rest. Maybe it's last year's stuff that they have there, but there we are, a harvest on the first Sunday in September. Then quickly, because that old clock and uh, kids are good over here and their parents are even not much better. And uh, so there we go. And uh, So very quickly, I'll just leave you with the headlines. The response of Christ. What was God's purpose? Well, it simply says this, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It looked like a tragedy, but it turned out to be a triumph. The Bible tells me he shall see his seed. He's actually going to live after his death. He's going to see the benefits of what he has done. In other words, as we used to say, no, God's not dead. No, God's not dead. He is alive. He was tried for our sins. 
And because he was tried, we can never be retried. The slate's clean this morning. There's nothing to be tried for. There's no charge this morning. There's no judge. There's no jailer. Luther in a dream one time, he dreamt that the devil had a big list of all his sins. And he was waving them in front of him as Luther was dreaming. And then Luther woke up. And he remembered the verse of the hymn, Jesus blotted out the handwriting of the offenses that were against him. He nailed them to the cross. He remembered the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleansed all of these sins. And he woke out of his sleep and he went across the room to his desk and he lifted an inkwell and he took the ink and he threw it across the room. Now, I'm not suggesting when you wake out of a dream that you go and get something and throw it across the room. But that's what Luther did, relieved to know his sins are gone. There's no judge. A judge cannot forgive you, but he can acquit you. What God did, God forgives you through his son. Because his son died, we're forgiven. You know something? There's no jailer this morning to lock you up. Come and hear Bobby Matheson tonight. Bobby's got a good testimony. And you'll then know what I'm referring to. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Broke something. And this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and gave himself to be the propitiation for our sins. His beloved this morning in Dundal and Elam was the perfect sacrifice. He gave his life a ransom for many. That was Christ's pain. That was The Father's pain also. Christ's pain when he carried your sins. His pain when he was forsaken by his Father. When his Father turned away from his Son. That was the Father's pain. It never had happened before. It never has happened since. And it will never happen again. Then there's God's perspective. He shall see of the labor of his soul and be satisfied. The pain and the agony, the spits and the jibes, the lies and the taunts. After all that he has lived through. As the sinless one in a sinful world for a sinful people. When all of that is rolled up and he has declared on the cross it's finished and he has commended his spirit into his father's hands, he shall see of the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And on that Easter Sunday morning when Mary, when he spoke to Mary and he heard her voice, 
He was satisfied over one sinner having been saved. How much is the satisfaction that comes to Jesus this morning over the thousands and millions who have put their faith in the Lord? Fully satisfied. Completely satisfied. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and he died alone. God's provision, he poured out his soul unto death. The Father rewarded him. And you say, Eric, how did the Father reward someone who had everything? Who was his co-equal? Who had everything that the Father had? Well, he stepped down out of glory and came to earth. He did something which nobody else could do. But you know what the reward was? He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Now one day, I don't know how cruel life has been to you. I don't know how difficult it has been. Maybe many a time you've cried out, unfair, unfair. And you probably cried out with a just cause. But one day, we too are going to awake in his likeness. And if you're saved and you awake in heaven, you're going to be satisfied. Satisfied. You're not going to remember all the battles and all the hills that you had to climb. You're not going to remember all the negatives and the difficulties. You're going to be in heaven and look on his face and you're going to be thankful to be there and you're going to be so glad that you got saved. And you'll be able to sing what a day that will be when my Savior I shall see when I look upon his face and tell the story saved by grace. What a day, glorious day. That will be. Samuel Rutherford, that great Puritan, Scotch preacher, who was banished for his gospel preaching to the town of Antworth, wrote these words. If one soul from Antworth should meet me at God's right hand, my heaven shall be to heaven. In Emmanuel's land. You know, if someone meets you someday from Dundonald in glory, you'll be satisfied. Heaven will be two heavens if one soul from Dundonald shall meet you at God's right hand. So my question to myself is this morning, Eric, are you going to keep sowing the flax?
Are you going to keep weaving the linen? Are you going to keep seeking to do your best for the Lord? Because this morning, he demands nothing more than the best. And he expects nothing more than the best. There it is. Another Sunday morning, my response to do my best. What's yours? And I'll get down now with the nerves all gone. If only you knew I still remain, after over 50 years preaching, the most nervous person before a meeting. I sat there this morning and I looked at those three steps and they looked like 53. (laughs) But then when you get up, all the prayers begin to be answered. And you look at the lovely faces and you think, why were you ever afraid? Well, I've lived long enough not to be fooled. (laughs) (laughs) I leave it with you today. Serve him with nothing less than your best. He expects no more and demands no more. God bless whoever's coming. Thanks.